0: Episode forty Christmas. Hello. And welcome to a very special episode of the Dublin Story Slam. If this is your first time to uh, hear us, you're very, very welcome. We are, of course, an open mic storytelling night that takes place in the heart of Dublin city. And on this episode, you are going to hear three stories that we've handpicked for you. And it kind of has a Christmas vibe, but also has very much a Dublin vibe. Dublin, as you might know, was in the news recently for all the wrong reasons uh, with the absolutely horrible attacks and then the following riots that took place over the city centre. So today we are going to bring a kind of a special answer to that with these stories. So on today's episode, you're going to hear a story of a community out in Ballymun coming together in all the right ways Uh, you're going to hear about a community in St. James's Hospital rallying around a colleague when disaster strikes back home and then finally we're going to finish off with an old fashioned magical Christmas story from Mairead Murphy First up, we are going to bring you a story from Richie Keane. Now, Richie, uh, I first met him out in Rialto at a community group, it was a group of older people who were getting together because they were interested in swapping stories and a bunch of them came along to the Story Slam and told these amazing stories and Richie was the first person up on stage. It takes a special type of storyteller to be able to own that stage right from the start and that's exactly what Richie did. This is Richie Keane.
1: When I close my eyes, I remember home. I can hear Radio Nova on the radio. And there's an ad. Northside, Northside, Northside Shopping Centre. Richard, Yema. You're a 79 bus away from the Northside Shopping Centre. You live in Ballymun on the fourth floor. On the left, outside the window, you can see the Dublin Mountains. On a glorious sunny day, it's peaty brown, mossy green, sky, blue sky. On the right-hand side, the school, the shop, the church, and then just fields and sky. And uh, just... An oasis of community and neighbourliness. Borrowing a cup of sugar, a jug of milk, a fiver, till Friday. And I can remember my ma saying, Richard, get in that bath, it's Saturday. Doctor Hugh's at 5.30. Sailor of the is at 6. You're in bed by 8, and if you're lucky, you'll see... Uh, was it either Dallas or... Um, six million dollar man and that was that was really good because I had a six million dollar man pyjamas and I loved it. So I'm in the bath and all I can remember is Dettol, the smell of Dettol on a Saturday. So I'm in my bath and I'm just relaxing, Doctor Who's at 5.30, bedtime is a bit later, there's a, a little channel of kind of pipes and you can hear Uh, To protect her anonymity, her name sounds like (laughs) uh, Bally Jelly. Not her real name for copyright reasons. So Bally Jelly would always have a row and you'd hear it and I could say, Christine, Bally Jelly's having a row again. I'm in my bath. I get out of the bath. And you'd run with a a towel around your shoulders and go to the hot press. We had 24-hour hot water. Underfloor heating, beautiful views from the windows. It was just a really lovely place to be. And I say to my ma, ma, where are my $6 million man pajamas? I cannot find them. And she says, just take those. You're not a baby, are you? Just put them on. Go to bed, they'll be grand. Your pajamas will be ready in the morning. So I go to bed, and I go asleep. And I think I've slept for about two or three minutes, but suddenly my Ma's saying, Richard, get out of bed, get out of bed. Uh, The flat's on fire, the lift's on fire, the whole block's on fire. So I say, Ma, I'm tired. I'm really tired, I'm really tired. And then suddenly my dad's best friend gives me a foreman's lift and we're bobbing down the stairwell. And I'm just deposited on tarmac. And then suddenly I look around and there's about 200 people on a grass semicircle, and then there's ambulance lights and fire brigade lights and guardy lights, and I just go, "This is like a fucking episode of Hill Street Blues." <laughs> and then suddenly, Bally Jelly's daughter, whose name rhymes like Brangelina Jelly, Brangelina Jelly says. What's Richard Keane wearing? And I look and I have my granny's bloomers, <laughs> this jersey net stretchy shit. And then I look and everybody I know in Ballymun is there, their master, their dads, the children. And I'm going, Jesus Christ. And then I'm lifted. So we're lifted. It's like an epic odyssey up Mount Everest, Base Camp 1, Holy Spirit School Hall. Then we're moved to Base Camp 2, the Garda station. And then Rory Grant's father goes, take that blanket, son. So I wrap that blanket around me, and then we go to Base Camp 3, Ballymun Comprehensive. And everybody is there. And we're getting fed sweets, Coca-Cola, it's like a big party, and Mrs Spencer says, what would you tell all your friends? <laughs> Isn't this brilliant? You're getting all this kind of... Oh, it's so exciting. Are you OK, son? And I see Keith over there, a five-year-old, drinking uh, sugary Coca-Cola. And then we get deposited. My dad's best friend, the O'Connors, put us up for three nights. We're evacuated. We're the evacuees. And my ma had said to me, take those, put them on. You're not a baby. And those granny's bloomers, those granny's bloomers, when she said, nobody will ever see you. (laughs) Nobody, your other $6 million man pyjamas, they'll be dry in the morning. And then we're there away for three days. I come back and I'm in school, I'm in school. It seems like this happens Saturday. I'm in school on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. And I go into school to Mr. Buckley's class, Bucko's class, all my mates, all my schoolmates, and they all have the front page of the Irish press. (laughs) Because what I forgot was coming out of the Garda station, it was like the 1920s. There was a flash. I was jockey-backed by Tony O'Connor. My sister was in a blanket. And on the front page, four blazes in Ballymun. And all my school had the front page in Bucco's class. And I remember my ma saying, nobody (laughs) will ever see you. (laughs) And when I go back, I look. uh, There was a a regeneration scheme. And I, I go back. And I have a kind of gulp in my throat for all the, all the memories I had, because where I lived is now a, a cubic space in the air. And during Regeneration, they do a lot of arts projects. And on the end of the block where we lived, it was goodbye concrete jungle. Farewell, stairwell, forever. And if I had my granny's bloomers, I would fit them right now. <laughs> They were stretchy and it would be one of those memories that I always would say home, sweet home.
0: That was Richie Keen there. And for listeners outside of Dublin, they might know Ballymun. Uh, it's an area of Dublin that's just been regenerated. It was, I suppose, lots of high rise uh, flats, lots of trouble, but the most endearing, like hard-working, uh, just real salt-of-the-earth community uh, out in Ballymun for many, 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 many years. And I, what I love about that story is that it kind of shows the magic of that community you know, coming around and supporting uh, Richie, but at the same time, in the distinctly Dublin way, not being afraid to give him a royal slagging the day he gets back to school as well. So it's kind of, you know, sums up what it is about Dublin communities, that they are there for you when it counts, but they're also there, you know, to bring you down a peg or two if you get too above your station. Anyways, that was Richie Keane and thank you so much uh, to Richie for helping us start off the programme. The second story. This is a story uh, that emerged from our Stories of Us programme that we were delighted to organise together with Creative Life, M-I-S-A, at St. James's Hospital and was supported by the St. James's Hospital Foundation. And you're gonna hear one of those stories that emerged from the programme because it has that lovely, warm Christmas feel um, to it. We're gonna share a story from Archana D'Souza. So we're gonna begin Archana's stories kind of just after a couple of minutes after she had started speaking. Um, So all you need to know is that she has just arrived from the Andaman Islands, thousands of miles away, and she's finding it all a little bit overwhelming. This is Archana Souza.
2: I had my one day adaptation and there you were off to the ward working with your patients. And I was working in the care of the older person and I'm still at, and I'm very proud to be a geriatric nurse. And um, What my patients, obviously, they had never seen a person of color and the way they talk was completely different because the slang was different. And if somebody would ask me, what's the form? And I was like, which form are you talking about? (laughs) So it was literally the slang took me back and I thought I couldn't survive. To make the matter worse, there was this girl from Donegal, if everybody's now familiar, which I am. Um, Donna from Donegal, she used to work with me and as soon as I seen her coming down to me, I just take the turn and I walk away and I never look at her in the eyes because I know she's going to talk. And when she talks, I wouldn't have a clue whether she's talking or she's singing. (laughs) So I said to myself, it's okay, Achana, you can be rude, but at least you will get away from it. So the language is a big barrier. The whole culture was a bit shocking. So it took a little bit different kind of you know more time for me to adapt to the Irish healthcare system. Talk about it, my colleagues and my seniors who were in the ward were very very supportive. They basically kind of took me under the wings and said, "You skinny little girl, you've come so far, you've done so much. Why? What are you worried about?" I said, "No, I need as a nurse to connect with my patients, and if that's one thing I don't do, then there's." What's the point in being that nurse? And they, they basically told me, no, we will be there to help you. You'll get through this. So if I had to walk down to a patient's bedside and I was a bit nervous, they would walk down with me. And these are the nurses who are still friends with. We are still best friends till today. So the months passed and came Christmas of 2004. I had a lovely Christmas and I worked that day, only for the reason that I don't want to be alone at home, feeling lonely, you know, far away, no boyfriend at that stage. Um, So I said, well, I might as well go to work, do an extra shift. I did my shift. I spoke to the family, called them and they all had a lovely Christmas back in India. My sister and brother from the college had come down and they were at home and they had they were like we're missing you but we had a good time and it was like that's great fantastic why not the next day 26th of december now i know it's saint stephen's day i was at work and in the meantime i got a text message from a friend of mine back in india who would have done nursing with me to say i hope you're okay i hope your family is okay and i was like yeah of course They had their Christmas yesterday and I just spoke to them. Everything's fine. There's no problem there. And I carried on with my work during the day. And it was about 10 o'clock that I got a call from my dad to say, how are you? And yeah, all good. Things are fine. I'm back at work again, as as you know. I'm not home alone. And they said, all right, just to let you know we are fine. Now that took me a little bit of... Back to say like, what do you mean you're fine? Of course, you're fine. I spoke to you yesterday. Oh, no, we just meant to tell you that there was a bit of high tide and I'm like, okay, a bit of high tide. And I live by the sea, 100 meters away. That's my family home. So I said, oh, yeah, so possibly you got some fish under the couch and they were like no not that kind of tide. it was a little bit too much so we had to move away we are safe we are um, in the hilly part of the island and we are all together so you need not worry when you watch the television now i was like okay that's fine and i kept the phone down what do i do next switch on the television and that's when the penny dropped when I seen, it's something out of the Hollywood movie. It was the tsunami of 2004, and it was live from some parts of the Asian countries. And I just sank. The world opened underneath my foot, and I just had no, I couldn't hold myself up. In the meantime, I hear a voice, chicken, are you okay? And I was like, chicken? she okay uh, i know you meant well because the sound went well and all she did was came to me and gave me a tightest hug which i never will forget because that's something that i needed at that moment and from that time i knew that i'm in the right place in the right country and have the right people beside me because that moment made me realize this is where i'm gonna rear my kids and grow up and you know get married one day and stay here but things we're good with the colleagues, as my friends and um, the, the staff who were working with me. Uh, they, what I'm grateful for is they kept a check on me. Are you alright? Have you spoken to your family? Is there anything we can do for you? Are you coming for a cup of tea? Or do you want us to drop you home? Simple things, which they took time to make sure that I was looked after. Uh, days passed the family had a very hard financial uh, life because things were contaminated. There was no um, cargoes coming in and out. And all happened was money became one of the issues. So I said, okay, I have enough. I'm earning enough. How little did I know it wasn't enough enough. But at the same time, my colleagues called me one of the days and asked me, we have something for you. And I was like, okay, what are you talking about? Like you're doing enough for me. You know, you're being so kind to me and I'm just a stranger from a completely different continent and you i have like, done enough, what, what more can you do? And they gave me an envelope and the envelope actually had some check in it and there was a substantial amount of money to be honest and which was raised by my St. James's hospital colleagues and the healthcare workers in the name of helping me and my family. And mind you, that money was such a help at that stage when we really needed it. Coming back to the story is, because the, the seafood was all contaminated, only thing we could eat was chicken. So that's where the chicken hug made me feel that this is the time that I need to tell you the story and it has to go back to the chicken. Um, To end my story, it's been nearly 20 years now and Monday morning I'm taking a flight back to India for the first time ever to spend Christmas with my family. So thank you, thank you.
0: That was Archana the Souza there uh, with a story that just embodies that the two worlds I suppose you know of people arriving into Ireland for the very first time and then finding this incredible community you know that 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 makes the city so special. Um, Archana had to take four separate flights uh, to make it home uh, for Christmas. So she's probably at home right now with her family, maybe even listening as they start their festive celebrations. So a huge thank you uh, to Archana. Our final story comes from Mairead Murphy. So Mairead told this story uh, at a recent Supper Stories event that we just launched. Supper Stories is very simple. It's basically a three-course meal told in the incredible surrounds of the Irish Museum of Modern Art. Our chefs, uh, the people who prepare the food, uh, who come up with the menus, that is all Camerino Bakery. So Karina and her team put together this menu where each course of the meal was inspired by the story. So the story you're about to hear is from Mairead Murphy, and it's a gorgeous way to finish off a beautiful Christmas episode. We'll tell you how this figured into the food uh, afterwards. But for now, here's Mairead
3: Murphy. I was just thinking, you know, it's coming up to going back to school time and it just dawned on me that for the first time since about 1999, we don't have anybody starting back to school. You know, we have brownies in the oven because they come home because they've got a shit teacher. They didn't get their favourite subjects or whatever. And you think, what kind of a bad mother are you that you don't remember the last day your last child was at school? Our last one, she kind of drifted away from school. And we left her drift because it was the right thing for her. And she's thriving ever since she drifted out. So we we always remember the first times in life you know the first time you've been at story slam the first time you meet those two reprobates the first time you know i mean i think of all you know I, I remember my first day at school i remember the first day i laid eyes on my current husband i remember i remember the first time i laid my current husband Uh, That's the sex fit. Tick. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) But but we rarely remember the last times that things happen. And that's fine, because most of life isn't dramatic. So, you know, you can't remember what date did your last baby wear a nappy, or when is the last time that you peed without any company in the toilet, and so on. And then I was looking at the theme of conversations tonight. And the conversation, apparently, if you go to the dictionary, is between two or more people who are sharing information or ideas. And I started thinking, well, what about if that conversation is one-sided? Is that is that wrong? Is that not a conversation? And if it's wrong, why does one of the most important conversations in my life mean so much to me, even though... It seemed to be one-sided. So this is going back almost eight years ago. And my mum had died in the August, and we decided we'll make the best of what was going to be a really, really horrible Christmas without her, and we'll go down all six us myself, hubby, and the babies, the teens, down to Kerry, to my brother. And re- you know the way relatives will give you unwanted advice that you didn't go looking for? So a relative said, why are you dragging yourselves all the way down to Kerry in the middle of winter? Wouldn't it make far more sense if your brother hopped on the train and came up to ye? And at the time, my dad was in a nursing home with advanced Alzheimer's. So I said, well, if the owner comes up to us, then there's nobody to visit dad at Christmas. And she said, sure, your father doesn't know day from night in the state he's in. And I said, he doesn't, but he's still our dad. So we put that conversation from her in the bin. And we packed up the turkey and the stuffing and all the giblets, all and that's what I call the children. And we, <laughs> and we headed down to Kerry. And every single day, three times a day, all over Christmas, either myself and some of my kids, or my hubby and some of my kids, or myself and my brother, went up. At this stage, Dad was mute. He was completely non-verbal. He was in nappies. His legs wouldn't support him anymore. There was just, you know, just blank face. His hands were soft for the first time in his life. Because there was no cutting turf or saving hay or gardening. And... We were not the sort of family that would say, Oh, I love you so much. You mean so much to me. You know, it, it was, the love was palpable at home when I was growing up. But we didn't say it. So Christmas Eve, anyway, I went up to visit Dad. And I brought up a great big long snake of silvery tinsel. Because that man loved Christmas. And every Christmas my mother said, Jesus, if there's another sparkly thing hanging out of the ceiling I'll strangle him with it and I just thought okay I put him with some help into a wheelchair and I brought dad around to the Christmas crib in the nursing home and then onto the Christmas tree and I just verbally vomited out all my feelings to my dad and I said you were the most amazing dad anybody ever had every summer it was filled with Picnics and days at the beach careful now don't go in beyond your hips you'll drown you'll drown and every Christmas was pure magic there was the big bowl of potato stuffing when we came in for midnight mass and very weak, very sweet, hot port wine no it won't break your pledge sure it's Christmas <laughs> it's baby Jesus' birthday you'll be fine and Santa never brought what we asked for, but we always loved what he brought. So thank you, Dad, for such magical, magical Christmases and magical summers. And I was blushing up to the hairline because this was not me expressing my emotions, emoting (laughs) all over him. So on New Year's Day, we packed up and we came back up. And any culture knows that if you book your train fare a few weeks in advance, you get it much cheaper. So, <laughs> 2nd January, I went online and I booked my train down to Kerry for the 25th of January. And, you know, I suppose Christmas, New Year, all times of, of memories, you know, it brings back memories of my mom and so on. You know, when I was thinking, you know, I couldn't quite remember the last time we went shopping. You know, what do you think, mum? You know, yeah. Would they have it in um, a bigger size? I wonder. You know, so, or the time that I had a fantastic Deb's ball, and the next day my auntie rang, "How do they look?" Well, you know how it is. Can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, so <laughs> mom always shot from the hip, but she was always full of sage advice. You know, I don't want to interfere now, but if I was you, and so on. So. I had my ticket booked to go down on the train for the 25th of January to see Dad again. And in the wee hours of the 20th of January, the phone rang. It was the nursing home. Your Dad has taken a really bad turn. And my brother had been called, he was only a mile away from Dad, and he was with him. And I said, okay, okay, we'll pack, we'll be straight down. She said, no, Marie, you won't make it, it's going to take you four hours to get down, you won't make it in time. So I was thinking, what will we do? Will we start packing? But I have to wake the kids and tell them that their granddad, the supreme builder of Nutella sandwiches for breakfast, was, was going. And I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll just take a moment. Uh, will, I, will, I, will I light a candle, I wonder? But I could hear Mom's voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Light a candle and then you'll fall asleep and burn the house down. Yeah, <laughs> do that. So I thought, OK, Mum. And I just imagined a lit candle in my mind. And then it happened. The strangest thing. At once, in a moment, heartwarming and heartbreaking. In my home, in the middle of January, a warm breeze came in through my back and out my front. And the candle was extinguished. And the phone rang. It was Donald, my brother. He's gone. Did he go easy, he said, as gently as he lived. So I would like to think that this was my dad answering the conversation that I had started on Christmas Eve, saying, I love you too, Pettine. And I'm off now. So bye." Now, I know you're probably thinking, were you eating the cheese and onion sandwiches before going to bed that night? But I think there's an awful lot more in this world that we don't know about, we don't understand. And I had that that strong feeling that night. So we never know the last times that we will do things. And we'll never know the last conversations we have. So have that conversation with the people you love in your life. Now, if you do it Hollywood style, like, I love you, Mom. (laughs) You're going to frighten the crap out of her. (laughs) So maybe you've got your head stuck under the bonnet of the car helping your dad change the engine oil. Or maybe you're peeling spuds at your mom. So let there be no eye contact. But just say, Jesus, do you know what, Mom? I always love coming home. Jesus, your roast buds are like nothing else on earth. So have the conversation because you never know which one will be your last. Thank you.
0: That was Mairead Murphy there, bringing a little bit of magic at a time, you know, when it's not always easy for everybody to be celebrating their Christmas. Uh, So thank you so much to Maraid. As I mentioned, Maraid told this story as part of Supper Stories, which was a a kind of a three-course meal where each course is inspired by a particular story that we shared live. And for this course, it was dessert. And the title of it, as conceived by Camarino Bakery, was Pass It On Tim. Tim, Maraid's dad, He loved sharing his food with his children. So he would feed them chocolate spread sandwiches, you know, in front of the fireplace and he would give them a tea towel to make sure that they didn't get any crumbs on themselves as well. So on the night, everybody got a tea towel and then a little jug of chocolate pouring sauce that they had to serve to their neighbour, the person that they were sitting beside. And it was just a gorgeous little touch to a wonderful and beautiful evening. The food really was inspired by the stories, and then the stories came alive because of the food. So keep an eye on 2024, Supper Stories uh, with Camarino Bakery, and we'll be bringing you details of more events like that in the future. OK, that is it. Thank you so much uh, for listening Just Hopefully it's given you a little bit of calm during the crazy storm of the festive season. I hope you have a peaceful, a relaxing Christmas season and uh, we will talk to you in the new year. Thanks a million for listening and can't wait for 2024. Thanks.